Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. Good morning, church family. Um, I want to point us to a passage this morning as we move into worship. And the passage I want to read, it takes place um, shortly after Jesus feeds the 5,000 in the Gospel of John. And a little bit after he feeds the 5,000, he says to the crowd, Don't worry, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. And then he goes on to explain that he himself is the bread of life. Now in John 6, verse 53, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Now Jesus is speaking in a spiritual sense. But a lot of his hearers thought to themselves, okay, Jesus is a cannibal, I'm out. (laughs) Like, I'm not into that kind of thing, so no thanks. Um, But that's not what Jesus meant whenever he said that. Um, Jesus was actually explaining that through him and in him is the only way to know eternal life. He himself is the bread of life, and that people ought to seek after him and see him as the most valuable thing in our lives. And along with that, he's through Jesus, we can only really find true purpose and true fulfillment. I think that's really what Jesus is getting after. And then later on in the same chapter, it says, After many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter gave what I find to be one of the most profound things that I've read in Scripture. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus has the words of eternal life. Where else is there to go? Through him, through Jesus, and only Jesus is eternal life found. Nothing in all of the world is more significant than this. Church, if we abide in Jesus, he will abide in us. So let's worship Jesus this morning because through him and in him we find eternal life, a life that is truly fulfilling, church. So let's worship him as the bread of life this morning. Jesus, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for who you are. And Jesus, thank you for offering us a way to be made right with you, a way to be made right with the Father. Jesus, you are so good to us and help us to see that this morning as we move into worship. In your name, amen. All right, Pastor Luke and Janie want to say hello first before I get started. They, as always, miss you. I told Pastor that I'm going to preach so that everybody misses him even more. So we'll see how it goes. Um, But this morning, um, I want to talk about something that I'm really passionate about. And um, I actually, um, God put this on my heart a couple of months ago. And... I'm not always eager to get back here because it's super nerve-wracking. But we're going to talk about Christian hospitality this morning. So if you're taking notes, the title of my message is going to is a new way to love. So as I was 
studying this um, week for my message, I was reminded and encouraged in areas of areas where I've allowed God to reign in my life. Um, but then again, on the other hand, God started to convict me. The Holy Spirit started to convict me in areas in my hospitality that I was lacking in. And I don't know if you have ever preached a message or you've studied for a sermon. What typically happens is God speaks to you first, and then you get to share that with other people. And that's exactly what happened. I was like, oh, Lord, this is not how I thought it was going to go, but I have some work to do in my own life. Um, but as I was encouraged and challenged, I was also reminded of the way that hospitality, specifically Christian hospitality, played a role in my salvation story. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and at best we were what they call priesters, which are the people that go to church on Easter and Christmas, which for our family, it was Christmas only. <laughs> and um, probably what made my parents feel good was when we were younger, they um, sent me and my sister to Catholic catechism classes. Um, so I grew up Catholic, and I have no idea why we went to these catechism classes, but I think now that I'm an adult, it probably made them check off the box of good things that they did for their children. But that was my first taste of Christian hospitality. Um, our teacher, her name was Sue Bowen, and she was the kindest, um, most fun, and hospital ladies that I had ever um, met. We did our classes in her home. She cooked us meals. She opened her home up before and after classes. I remember playing with um, her daughter's and really, we just had a lot of fun. And she wasn't that way because she was our catechism teacher. She was that way because she exuded Christian hospitality. She wanted people to see Jesus when they met her. And um, she passed away in the last, the last few years. And until she passed away, she really was not a stranger to anybody. Everybody in our town knew her. Um, they were her friends. She didn't know a stranger. And the list of stories of how she impacted both the believer and non-believer um, could be read for days because she exuded Jesus and um, Christian hospitality. And then I thought of two other um, examples of Christian hospitality that were really marker points in my life. Um, points where it really changed the trajectory of where I was going to go. And one example is um, my Aunt Gigi and my Uncle Mike. They were my only saved family members that I knew um, growing up. And for as long as I could remember, their house was always full of people, um, from family members to um, foster kids. They fostered I don't, I don't even think we can, I can count on both hands how many kids they fostered in their home. They were often the emergency foster care placement house where kids who didn't, um, were not wanted in other homes went. She had, um, friends, uh, my cousin's friends who were in their homes and then even the homeless. They opened up their home to the homeless. Their doors were always open, which meant that there was always chaos and oftentimes um, messiness. But their home was open to others because their home wasn't theirs. It was Jesus's. And that made an impact on my life. And they didn't have fancy things. They didn't have, um, you know, elaborate things that they had to offer people. What they had to offer was an open home. They invested their finances and their times, um, their time 
so that other people can have an opportunity to know Jesus. And for several summers, they took my cousins um, and their friends to go to a Christian Bible camp in Hawaii. And we lived in Barrow, Alaska, which is the very top you can go in Alaska. So it was a lot of money to not only, and time to take a bunch of teenagers from Barrow, Alaska to Hawaii to go to this Christian camp. I don't know why they chose that place, but my turn came in 2000, the summer of 2000. And I was like, not a, I wasn't a Christian, but I said, heck yes, I want to go to Hawaii. So I got on board. I don't know how it was paid for. All I know is that I was in Hawaii and um, my aunt and uncle provided an opportunity. And that was when I first gave my heart to Jesus. And the amount of impact that my aunt and uncle had on me and um, countless people my age in Barrow is, I can't even I can't enumerate how how much impact it had. But fast forward two years later, so that was in the summer of 2000. Two years later, um, I hadn't really been serving Jesus since I first gave my heart to him. I kind of sunk back into my old way of life because I had no other family members um, that served him. But my aunt and uncle came back to visit here in Anchorage. We had just moved here. And they said, Kiki, we're going to find you a church. And if you go to church for three months, I think it was August to October, we'll buy you a trip to Hawaii. And guess what 15-year-old Kiki said? Count me in. Where am I going to church? All I had to do was go on Sunday morning. I was on it. And it just so turns out that the church that they prayed for and found for me was Maranatha. So that was 15-year-old me. Um, Pastor Luke and Janie had been here just a year at this point. And we maybe had like 30 or so people attending the church. I don't know. And like three people my age. And honestly, like people that uh, unless Jesus came into my heart, I probably wouldn't have been friends with. But now they're like my family. Renita and Heather, their, ki- Renita's, uh, their kids call me Auntie Kiki because there was a bridge that was crossed and we became family. And so... 30 or so people attending the church. Um, There's a lot of other details that I'll spare you um, for another time. But God placed me in a church with pastors and members who knew what Christian hospitality was. And only a month into my goal of getting to Hawaii, (laughs) my dad unexpectedly passed away. And without hesitation, or at least obvious hesitation to me, Pastor Luke and Janie opened up their home to me. Um, They opened up their lives to um, me and my family in a time of need. I remember staying in their guest bedroom with uh, my best friend during that week that my dad died, and I didn't realize the impact, but they were there through the hospital stays, bringing food, ministering to a family that they barely knew. And I have no doubt that had they not shown this kind of hospitality to me, that I wouldn't be standing in this pulpit today. So I'm so thankful for that. There's other people here, Evelyn and Marilyn, who were key. Um, They were here when I first came to church, and I remember being told all the time, if you need anything, let me know. They were the church mamas and other church mamas that have already gone to be with the Lord, and that was the DNA of our church. And I'm so thankful that we have pastors and a church who exude Christian hospitality, because Broken and lost Kiki at 15 years old didn't stand a chance to know Jesus, but 
God orchestrated people in my life to show me what that meant. So hospitality defined is generous and gracious treatment of guests, okay? And Christian hospitality, I think, takes it a step further and is the generous, um, sorry, is the generous and gracious treatment of guests because of what Christ has done for us, okay? So there's typical hospitality, you're generous and you're gracious, but then there's Christian hospitality. The reason why you're generous and gracious is because of what Jesus has done for you, okay? Because of his great love for us, we can take our generosity and grace to next level love, to a new kind of love, okay? The world sees love um, differently than what we ought to see love as. And so when we practice Christian hospitality, we do it in a way that love, um, in a way that love shows it has no limits, okay? The way that we treat um, others, it changes people's lives and it can and should change their lives for the better. So if we're practicing Christian hospitality, um, we shouldn't walk away from a relationship and somebody be worse off. Okay. (laughs) We should walk away and they should be better and their lives should be changed for eternity. The way that we care for people should be different than the way a non-believer cares for people. The way we that that we open up our homes, the way we give to others, the way we make space um, in our schedule for others, and the way we befriend others is what encompasses Christian hospitality. We live in a world where Christianity isn't popular, and they call it post the post-Christian world. Okay, we are up in arms, and we as a church are up in arms about the way culture is heading, and we feel like we're on the defense, right, all the time. Oh, we have to protect this. We have to protect our church. We have to protect um, what we believe, which I think it's true to an extent. But oftentimes, we think of ourselves as the victims of this world. And um, I've been reading a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield, and I want to read an excerpt from what she writes in her book. It says, are Christians victims of this post-Christian world? No. Sadly, Christians are co-conspirators. We embrace modernism's perks when they serve our own lusts and selfish ambitions. We despise modernism when it crosses lines of our precious moralism. Our cold and hard hearts, our failure to love the stranger, our selfishness with our money, our time, and our home— and our privileged back turned against widows, orphans, prisoners, and refugees mean we are guilty in the face of God of withholding love and Christian witness. And even more serious is our failure to read our Bibles well enough to see that the creation ordinance and the moral law found first in the Old Testament is as binding to the Christian as any red letter. Our own conduct condemns our witness to this world. Shame on us. Our post-Christian world has not taken away our Bible, our Bibles or the Holy Spirit's convicting rebuke on our Christ's own conscience. And she goes on to say, and now we must be salt and light in a world that knows we have blown it. I was like, wow, that's, that's a hard pill to swallow because sometimes we live Christianity in this nicely put together box. And we think that we've got it all right because we've got carved in our schedule, Sunday morning church, Wednesday night church. We pray before we eat a meal, but we don't actually go out 
and show this world what it means to be a Jesus follower. We've blown it, and I think the church has a way to go to um, redeem the name of Jesus. Maybe some of you guys don't agree with it, but I, I've been in ministry for a while now, not as long as some of others, but even in my time in ministry, I've seen a lot of parts where we've become complacent in what God has called us to do. So I really feel like she's right. The church has become complacent and we lack in many areas. We've got Christians or people claiming to be Christians, Christ followers, living with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. We've got Christians who don't even read their Bible except for when they're at church. We, uh, or read a devotional. Jesus wants us to know him and spend time with him. How often do you open your Bible during the week? How often do you spend time in prayer? I'm not saying there aren't any Christians out there living how they should, but I do think that we should each take a personal inventory of our lives. Do we have a tight grip on our lives? Um, Or is it open in a way that God can use it? Are we so caught up in this world that it makes no room um, for time with Jesus and in his word? I've thought of ways in my own life um, and how I display Christian hospitality. And as I studied for this message, I, I recognize I'm missing the mark. There's so many areas, as much as I feel like I've been open, that I'm still missing the mark. And there's ways for me to go. So this message is for all of us <laughs> um, here this morning. There's areas that I still have my hands gripped around and I don't make available for use to God. So I believe God has a word for us this morning. If you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 12, we're going to kind of park there this morning. It says, um, the heading says, a living sacrifice to God. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is true the way wor- this is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. 
be patient in trouble and keep on praying. And verse 13, um, I highlighted, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Um, let's continue in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. So this practical um, wisdom here, I want to highlight a few things before we continue. The section begins with, and so, or in other translations, therefore, which indicates that we, re- we need to remember what was said prior to this. Okay, so Paul just finished the first portion of his letter um, by detailing the compassion and grace of God. And so because of God's grace, because all that he has done for you, this is how you should live. And Paul continues to tell us how to live practically the Christian life. So he's pleading with us to give our bodies as a living sacrifice. And when we read body here, sometimes we think just like our physical bodies. But right here, it's actually going beyond that. This is referring to your whole life, everything that encompasses you. So obviously, it's not just my physical person. Everything that encompasses me is the way that I think, the things that I do, the things that I spend my time on, my thoughts, my actions, and my possession. It's my possessions. It's my lifestyle. Okay, so your lifestyle, it says live your lifestyle as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Sacrificing our lives is the proper response to grace. Therefore, do these things because God's grace, because of what God has, did, has done for you. So that sacrifice is giving up the way that we want to live our lives and exchanging it to live the way that God wants us to live. So how do we practically live out our Christian lives? We, we're transformed. It says to be transformed um, in the way that we think. Okay? You will learn to know God's will for you. Change the way you think. Be transformed. When our minds are transformed, our attitudes, our feelings, and our actions that um, are changed. And they are made to follow and be like Jesus. So... Um, I remember years ago, I preached a message in our youth group, and we talked about how actions um, start with a thought, okay? You guys agree with that? You don't do something until you think about it? Usually, some people say, I should have thought before I acted. Well, you still thought before you did it. You thought about what you were going to do. You didn't think long enough (laughs) is what happened. (laughs) So the way that we think determines the way that we live. If we think about ourselves all the time, what do you think our life's going to look like? Serving self, okay? A life that caters to self. If we think that somebody doesn't like us, we respond to them differently, right? Anybody here ever thought, oh, that person doesn't like me, and then you just avoid them? 
And then maybe you find out later on that they really had no problem with you. And you just created a wedge because you let your thoughts dictate your actions. Um, if we think we can achieve a goal, what do we do? We pursue it. If we don't think we can achieve a goal, we don't pursue it. Our actions start with a thought. Um, it's not surprising that Paul starts off with the instructions to living a sacrificial life with telling us to transform the way that we think. So to be transformed in our thinking is to no longer think like the world, but to think like Jesus and to be like Jesus. So think about the personhood of Jesus and the role that he plays in our lives. He is Lord and he's Savior. When we say he's Lord and Savior, Lord means that he has full authority over our lives, meaning we're going to live in a way that he says to live. When we think about him as our Savior, we recognize who we were and the need that we have for him, okay? Dirty sinners who are in need of a Savior. So we recognize that we are receiver of God's, receivers of God's grace. When we think about Jesus, that grounds us in humility, okay? Because we remember who we were before Christ. We remember where we were going and what Jesus did so that we can be different, so that we can have a full life. We look at the needs and hearts of, of, of people rather than seeing them as burdens when we think like Jesus, we recognize people as people in need of God's grace and not people um, for their sin, okay? Oftentimes we look at somebody and say, oh, their, their sin defines them. But Jesus doesn't look at somebody um, defined by their sin. He looks at them as people who are in need of grace and forgiveness. When we think like Jesus, we don't think like the world. Verse um, Two says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So I was thinking about the customs of this world, and we are not far removed from what was going on back in this time. In fact, we're probably a little bit worse off <laughs> because our, our world seems to be going further and further away from Jesus. But the customs and behaviors of this world today say, be comfortable this is mine, right? Like what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. Don't touch what's mine. It belongs to me. We um, think about how we need to protect our family unit. So I can't be in ministry. I can't reach out to that family that has issues because my family's perfect. I got to protect them. Um, that's a behavior and custom of this world. Behavior and customs of this world think I need to keep guard or I'll get hurt. Or I should always be suspicious of people because they're bad right? That's how the world thinks. But Jesus calls us to think the best in others. The world also teaches us, I can do all things by myself. I don't need anybody. And I'm guilty of that as well. But that is not a way that we should think. Jesus says to leave everything behind to follow him. And he didn't dine with well-to-do people. You guys, if you read your Bible, you'll know that Jesus dined with sinners and prostitutes and the bad people, right? And what was the goal? For them to know the Father. So we need to be transformed in our thinking and not think like the world, but to think about and like Jesus. To be transformed in our actions is to use the gifts that God has given us and to use them well and to use them in love. All of these gifts that are listed here um, in this passage they all end in 
um, urges, like encouragement to do them well and sincerely. So if God's given you a gift, use it well and use it in a manner that points people to Jesus. Above all, do them in love. Verse 9 says, really love them. Don't pretend. I thought, wow, that's very basic. But we often don't really love people. Loving others is hating sin, but loving the sinner. It's loving others in a way that you would love your own family. And sometimes without knowing it, um, the church turns our backs on sinners. We categorize people based on the degree of their sin. And depending on how bad it is, it depends on how much we love them. Right? This is not the Jesus way. Jesus came so that all can be saved. The way that you steward your gift reflects your transformation. So if you've been transformed by God, your life should be transformed and your gifts should be transformed to be used for his glory. The way that you steward your gift reflects your transformation. Our gifts are given to us for spiritual service. And that means we actually have to serve. Some of us don't have time to serve. But God calls us to use our gifts well. And he's given every one of us here in this room a gift for spiritual service. Does your schedule and comfort dictate the way that you show hospitality? Too often, we filled up our schedule um, and we've sunk too deep into our own comforts that we have left no place in our lives to cross paths with other people. To be transformed in our actions is to use the gifts God has given us well. Another way that we need to be transformed is in our possessions. We need to steward our resources well. Not letting the things that we have become idols or barriers to, to the way that we treat people. If your money and your things keep you from serving God, then they have been elevated to a place that's higher than God. And if something's been elevated to a place that's higher than God, that is the very def- definition of an idol. So we've got to tear down the idols in our life. If our possessions are becoming idols in our lives, then there's something that needs to be done. I try to live my life where everything that I have is not mine and it's Jesus's. So I tell people, it's not my car, it's not my house, um, the things in my house are not mine. And the thing about it is, is it's freeing because if somebody spills coffee on my carpet, no big deal. It's coffee. We'll just clean it up. It's a rug. There's no reason to get mad at what at your, at your things being ruined. Yes, I want to steward them well, and I want to have nice things. But more important than the things that I have are the relationships that I have and the relationships that those people have with Jesus. So we should start to look at things as things, as things, things that God has blessed us with, things that we can steward that are really open for whomever needs it. Um, when I see things as not mine, I don't have to be angry and stressed out when people come to my house. Like, oh my goodness, I have to put the fine china away. First of all, when you bring people to your house, don't bring out the fine china. Bring out the paper plates and you'll be able to share Jesus with them as much as you would if the fine china was out. Paper plates are where it's at. (laughs) So acknowledge that what you have is a blessing from God for you to steward, but also acknowledge that your relationships are even more important for you to steward. Christian hospitality shares with those in need and blesses others without expectation of anything in return. What if Jesus called us to give and never receive? 
would we still be a faithful Christian? Think about it. Christian hospitality is a vehicle that brings sinners to Jesus. And if we're called to evangelize, which youth group are we called to evangelize? Yes, we've been talking about evangelism for the last month. Um, If we're called to do that, then we need to treat people differently. Okay? It's not, and I'm not talking about just being nice to people. I'm talking about going the extra mile. I'm talking about looking radical, looking more like Jesus. He reached the lost, and he did it in radical ways that often had people up in arms. You guys remember reading those stories? Like, what is he doing? It's the Sabbath. What is he doing? She's a prostitute. He's a leper. Jesus didn't care. He cared about the person. So we have to do things that are radical, that look more like Jesus. He crossed cultural barriers and cultural norms so that he can reach people. What are we willing to do as Christians? Christian hospitality calls us to stop just being nice, but to do things that look very different from this world. There is a difference between hospitality and Christian hospitality, and we'll kind of talk about that here in a few minutes. But if your hospitality looks the same way as a non-believer, then you need to up your game. You need to do things differently because we need to shine as salt and light greater than when the way this world shines because we have something eternal to offer. They can only meet the, the immediate need. We can meet a spiritual need that lasts for eternity. So Christian hospitality calls us to get into the messiness of other people's lives and allow others to also get in the messiness of our own lives. And I think that's where some of us uh, might have to reevaluate this morning. Some of you are thinking, well, it's better to mind our own business, right? That's what this world says. Mind your own business. You do you and I'll do me and life's good. But that's not the way that the Bible tells us to think. That's what the world says. And the Bible says to not be conformed to this world. Christian hospitality can be expensive and inconvenient. It may call you to have less so that others can have more or so that others can just have. There's people that you probably know that don't have the things that you have. And God might be calling you to have less so that somebody else can have it. It may call you to give up a date night or a Netflix night or even place a place in your home, like your spare bedroom or your basement or an air mattress. If we gave up coffee and money and our coffee money and an evening every week so that we can meet not only the felt need of another person but the spiritual need of another person, we would be living out Romans 12. We would be able to reach the spiritual need if we can do something as simple as giving off our coffee budget, giving up our coffee budget, or giving up a night that we've claimed is ours so that somebody else can come in and hear the gospel of Jesus. What do you think would happen if we gave those things up? What if that meant that sinners were saved and the broken were made whole? This is why we practice Christian hospitality. We live in a world full of broken and lost people, and they need us, the church. If you're sitting here today and you are a Christ follower, the world needs us, you and I, to be Jesus on earth. So how do we do that? I have three points. If you thought I already gave points, sorry. Three points um, that I want us to think about. The first way 
that we practice Christian hospitality is toward um, the church, okay? So if we want to be hospitable to sinners, we first need to learn how to be hospitable to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Too many of us have gotten comfortable living in this world with our own schedules and our own possessions, with our walls up and our guards up, that we don't even fellowship with one another in the body. We don't know that the person next to you might be going through a really difficult time in life, and they need you to come alongside them and carry their burden. We don't know that because we're so comfortable coming to church, checking off a box, and going home. But Christian hospitality calls us towards the church, towards the person sitting next to you in the pew or behind you or in front of you, calls you to open up your schedule and your life so that you can help carry the burden of somebody else. Christian hospitality calls me to that, and Christian hospitality calls you to that. We have to stop also being so easily offended and start believing the best in each other. So we get easily offended. We don't have thick skin. We take every little offense And we hold on to it, which creates a divide. And it puts people, the people that we're supposed to be linking arms with, at arm's length. Okay, that's why I had us um, link arms during prayer. Because we're supposed to be living life together. And in this post-Christian world, we've let the church become a place where we have our own little sections, our own little families that nobody else, not even the church, can touch. And I don't think that's what Jesus intended for us. We have to be willing to open our homes to one another and allow each other into the human parts of our lives. Oh, my goodness. None of us are perfect. Okay? If you have dishes in your sink and somebody needs to come over and and be counseled, who cares about the dishes? I can guarantee you if they need you to help them carry their burden, they're probably not even going to notice the dishes or the dirt on your floor. What they're going to remember when they leave your house is that you made space for them in your life. So we have to be willing to open our homes and allow each other into our lives. We're all here by the same grace from the same God. Okay, there will be times where you will be on the giving end and where you will be on the receiving end. So I was thinking about this, and I don't want to miss this part of hospitality because sometimes we can think, okay, well, I'm really good at giving of myself, but then there's that other part where, like I said earlier, where we are not willing to be helped. Okay, so in your Christian walk, you're going to encounter both of the receiving and the giving of Christian hospitality. So being on the receiving end would mean that sometimes we put our guard down and we accept help offered by our brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't know about you, but sometimes I pride myself in getting things done on my own. That is pride, okay? If I can do something easier with the help of a brother and sister in Christ, I should accept that. Um, Another way that we um, should look at hospitality is not only as giving, but when we live life together, we grow together. So um, not only in our world have we, um, we've created kind of these compartment com- compartments, but we've done that in the church where it's like, okay, I'm so busy. I really don't want to get out of my pajamas. I don't want to go visit. Somebody invited me over for dinner, but I really don't want to go and talk. Sometimes being on the receiving end means if you're just going to be at home watching TV, 
accept the invitation to go dine with another believer. They might have something to impart to you, and you might have something to impart to them. We need to live life together. We need to stop being too busy for each other within the church body. Spending time together is hospitality, okay? Serving together is hospitality. Um, Another thing that we need to do is stop looking at our own families as units, okay? Separate from the church. Um, We need to look as our family as a part of the bigger family of God, okay? Because when you do that, your children will grow up and they'll see the importance of the church body. I know that it's kind of the in thing to do church online. There's people who don't think they need fellowship, but that is not what the Bible says. So in 20 years from now, when technology is going to continue to go and it's going to become more and more common to do things on a screen, your children and your grandchildren need to know that more than a screen, it's important to be in the house of God with other believers. So you... And I have to stop thinking of ourselves as individual family units and think of ourselves as the family of God. Okay, your kids need to have hundreds of aunties and uncles that look different than them. They need to know the importance of church and church relationships, even when they're difficult. Okay, so we have to be willing to give towards the church. We need to use our gifts to serve the church, whatever God has gifted you with. It is meant to be used to strengthen the church. We need to be willing to give up our finances through faithful tithing and even giving beyond that, okay? Sometimes we have a too tight of a grip on our money that we don't even give to the church that we claim to be a part of. Hospitality encompasses our whole lives, and if we're not pouring out our lives to the church, then how can we pour out our lives to the non-believer? Um, I was thinking about that. If we can't function as a church family and then we go out into the w- world and we try to bring a non-believer into the, into the family of God, are we wanting to bring them into a f- dysfunctional family? No. I grew up in a dysfunctional family, and I don't think I want anybody I love to be a part of that. So we need to stop being a dysfunctional church, and we need to start giving towards one another in hospitality so that when we bring sinners and non-believers in, they come into a family, not a dysfunctional family, but a family that knows what it means to love and be loved. I love that our church is known for how friendly and welcoming we are, but imagine if we at Maranatha took that to the next level because there's still more that we can do. There's more that we can do. And when we lock arms with one another, Our reach goes further and wider and deeper, and we help carry the load of reaching the sinner, and then we also help carrying the load and the burdens of one another, okay? We're not meant to do life alone. The Life Application New Testament Commentary says that the kind of love we have among fellow believers allows for weaknesses and imperfections. It communicates, it deals with problems, it affirms others, and has a strong commitment and loyalty to others. Such a bond will hold any church together, no matter what problems come from within or without. So let's love one another well. In order to practice Christian hospitality, we have to first love, have love towards the church. The second thing that we need to do is practice it toward the sinner or those who don't yet know God. So open up your home. Open up your pocketbook, your schedule. If we can all look back in our Christian lives 
we can probably find moments that mark mark us for the better. Um, we can probably find ways that Christian hospitality was displayed to us. Okay, where somebody reached out, somebody called and prayed for us, somebody gave us a ride to church, um, you name it. Somebody came into our lives and came alongside us and brought us to Jesus. We were all sinners in need of God's grace. And someone came along. More importantly, Jesus came along and offered his life for us. Romans ten fourteen says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? You see, there's a lot of people who will not, who their first time hearing the gospel will never be in a church building. Okay? If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you'll know that most often than not, somebody is led to Jesus by a relationship with another Christian, okay? There's so many people that I hear all the time, sinners that are like, oh, I'll never go to that church. Do you know how the church treats people like me? Or I'll never go to that church because they they treat each other badly. Oh, I'll never go to that church because they don't think that God could love me. There's people who will never walk foot in a church building, but will walk foot in your home who will go to a coffee shop with you, who will go to a restaurant with you, who will ride in a car ride with you, and that will give you an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. People won't hear, there are a lot of people who won't hear the gospel for the first time inside our church walls. So it's not up to Pastor Luke to save all of your friends and family you have to get them here. And if they're not going to come here, then you got to start working outside of church. Okay? You got to open up your nights. You got to open up your home. You got to show them kindness and generosity and love. They have to see Christ displayed on earth. They have to see that we know somebody who can heal their broken hearts. We, that we know somebody who can meet their needs. We have to show the world Jesus, and then they'll come to our church building. And that's where they'll get discipled and they'll grow stronger in their faith and stronger in the family of God. But we have a task to do and that's to go to the sinner, to those who don't know God yet. So perhaps some of us need to open up our homes. Perhaps some of us need to set an extra plate at our dinner table so that somebody can come and join us for dinner. And maybe some of you don't, you're like, oh, well, I don't have my own house. I don't have a table to set. Um, meet them at a coffee shop. Meet them at a restaurant. Um, or better yet, this kind of ties into our first point, link arms with somebody else in the church who has a house and say, hey, do you think that we can have dinner over dinner at your house and I can maybe cook the meal and you can open up your home and we can invite some people over and we can tell them about Jesus? Because when we do things together, we're stronger together, okay? God doesn't call us to do all of these things on our own. Yes, he has individual responsibility for us, but even more so, he has um, the body of Christ that comes together to practice Christian hospitality. And I also want to say that hospitality is not limited by what you have and what you can give. It's only limited by what you're willing to give up. So am I willing to give up my schedule? Am I willing to give up my comforts? Am I willing to give up my excuses of being an introvert? Or am I willing to give up an extra $5 that I put towards something else that I want? We have to be willing to give something up 
in order to show Christian hospitality to others. Um, we also need to stop being afraid of strangers. Something that I thought found interesting when I was studying was that um, the word for hospitality is the opposite of xenophobia. Does anybody here know what that is? Xenophobia is the fear of strangers. Okay, hospitality, literally, um, the New Bible Dictionary, the Greek term um, used, philoxenia, philoxenia, means love of strangers. So, hospitality is completely opposite. Fear of strangers, love of strangers. To be hospitable is to love strangers. Um, In addition to welcoming strangers into our home, we need to welcome them into our church. Okay? I, I talked about how some people aren't willing to step foot in a church because of the way that we treat them. We need to And I'm not saying that we don't do this at Maranatha, but let's just take personal inventory. We need to welcome people when they walk through our church doors. There are, again, countless people who come into a church and they don't, nobody says hello to them. Or they might look different than you. Um, You might know something about them that causes you to put them at arm's length. We need to welcome people into the church. We need to love strangers and sinners to the cross. We need to welcome them into our building, into our family, so that one day they can truly become family in God. And God shows us um, perfect examples of that. He welcomed the outcasts. Again, I said earlier, he welcomed sinners, lepers, prostitutes, tax collectors. He ate meals with them. He spoke to them so that they may know him. So let's stop focusing on the sin and start focusing on the person. I do want to also say that, yes, there are times when we should exercise caution if somebody's going to be of danger to you. But more often than not, I think we take caution too far. And we um, keep people at a distance. And we say, oh, well, I don't know, I'm a little bit afraid, when we really have no reason to be afraid. Um, And that keeps people away from us. And so we need to recognize and understand that Jesus loves sinners. He loved us. I was a sinner. And there's still times where I fall disgustingly short of God's glory and I need him. Um, so sinners, when we reach out toward the sinner and those who don't, yet, don't yet know God, we um, give them an opportunity to know Jesus. We may be the only Jesus encounter on earth. You have people in your life that you might be the only person that will ever show them who Jesus is. That should arrest us and say, man, how do I live my life on a daily basis? How do I know if this person, the only way they'll know Jesus is through me? Well, if we just focus on loving all people the way that Christ calls us to, then we won't miss it. The last point, thank God, right, (laughs) is towards God, okay, I think hospitality first comes from making room for God in our lives. So you can't make room for the church or you can't make room for sinners if you don't make room for God, okay? Certainly, there are people who don't know God that are hospitable. And in many cases, and shamefully, they outdo some Christians. But the reality is, is that those people cannot love people well unless they've experienced real love. And the only source of real love is through Jesus Christ, And if you're a Christian, you've experienced that, which gives you the ability to love somebody else properly. I um, think about my dad, and he was generous 
to the T. He gave, our home was always open to other people. His pocketbook was always other people. He generously gave. But our family lacked so many foundational things um, when I was a kid because he didn't know Jesus. He didn't know real love. His generosity fell short because what mattered more than the felt need was missing. Okay, so the world can be way more hospitable than us, but they're never going to meet the spiritual need of an individual. So we need to stand up and rise up as the church and become even better hospitable people than the world so that people can know Jesus. Hospitality um, doesn't always come naturally to a lot of people, right? Some people are like, I'm an introvert. I don't like people. Um, But if we can begin to focus our thoughts on Jesus and not ourselves, God will find ways to use you. But we have to start with making room for God. The Bible says, what you have done to others, you have done to me. If others don't matter to you, maybe it's because you have not yet made God a priority in your life. We need to make room for God. Abraham welcomed God into his home. Rahab spared herself and her family and became a part of the lineage of Christ. Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus into his home. And we all know what happened to him. He was transformed from a self-serving person into a life that served others. So we have got to open our home, which is our entire being, everything that we are, our thoughts, our schedule, our actions, our possessions, everything that makes you, you, to Jesus. We have to surrender our entire being to Jesus and watch him not only transfer us as indiv- transform us as individuals, but transform our church and transform the lost. I'm, get- I'm getting ready to close here. If hospitality is, a dying, is not a dying practice, It's one that we, the church, have modified to fit our own comforts. And Jesus never called us to be comfortable. If you have ever thought, ever in your mind, I'm not going to do that because it's uncomfortable, then you might need to check your heart because Jesus never called us to be comfortable. In fact, he called us to take up our cross and die to ourselves daily. He called us to lay our lives down. It's interesting that when we read um, scripture in Luke 14, um, Jesus framed the invitation to salvation in terms of an invitation to a banquet, to a dinner. He, he extended hospitality. You guys remember that? He, in, he told them to go invite the guests. And when the guests refused to come, what did he say? He said, go out into the streets. The streets consisted of the people that were way down on the totem pole, the, the real dirty sinners, right? That's who were in the streets. And Jesus said, well, if they're not, the others aren't going to come, go to the streets because I need this banquet to be full. Why? Because he offered an invitation to salvation. And he used a means of hospitality. He used a banquet, a meal. Christian hospitality doesn't have to be complicated. Open up a night or two on your weekly calendar. Open up your homes. Make extra food for dinner and call somebody, invite them over. Sometimes we make things too complicated. Allow someone in need to occupy your guest bedroom or even an air mattress. Get into the habit of inviting people over. 
Some of you guys might need to just get into the habit of making sure your living room is clean all the time so that somebody can come over at a moment's notice. (laughs) Christian hospitality differs from social entertaining. Entertaining focuses on the host. The home must be spotless. The food must be amazing and well-prepared. But hospitality focuses on the guest. Their needs, whether it be a place to stay, a meal, a listening ear, or acceptance. And hospitality can happen in a messy home. So I'm just joking. You don't have to clean your house. Certainly, if you invite me over, you don't need to clean your house for me. But hospitality can happen in a messy home. It can happen when all you have to offer is canned soup and a grilled cheese sandwich. Okay, sometimes we're like, oh, no, I can't prepare an elaborate meal. I'm not inviting anybody over. I'll come over for soup and a grilled cheese sandwich. I can guarantee you if I will, then somebody else will. Okay, so it can happen if you have to sit on the floor. Sometimes we're like, oh, no, I only have five seats in my living room. Well, do you have a floor that somebody can sit in? Isn't it much better for somebody to sit on your floor and hear the gospel of Jesus than to never enter your home where Jesus should be present? Some of us need to rethink how we live. And again, I'm telling you, I'm in the boat with you, okay? It doesn't have to be complicated. You can even invite them over for a cup of coffee. You don't even have to feed them. Give them coffee, cup of water, tea, anything. Just open up your home so that somebody has the opportunity to hear Jesus, to to hear about Jesus. If you don't have your own home to practice hospitality in, do things that can be done outside of your home. Maybe you can make an extra grocery store run to help a neighbor or a friend out. Maybe you can even pay for the groceries. Uh Uh-oh. I have to also pay for the groceries? I have to not only do it, but I have to pay for it? I don't know. What's, What's Jesus saying? Uh, Maybe you can carve out time to call, text, or even visit somebody. We are moving further and further away from human interaction, okay? I, the next generation is learning how to have relationships over text message and social media. And relationships don't go deep that way. So we have to get back to the basics. We need to call somebody. We need to invite them in for a visit so that we can actually get to know their needs, and help meet those needs. Maybe you can, if you're going through the drive-thru, you can buy an extra meal and give it away to somebody homeless. Maybe you can volunteer your time to the community, or you can reserve a table at your favorite restaurant or coffee shop. You can offer rides to people who don't have their own means of transportation. There's so many different things that we can do that there's really no excuse for the Christian to not offer Christian hospitality. And I want us to also understand that Christian hospitality involves people, okay? I mean, that's the definition of hospitality, right? It's being generous towards other others. So we also have to understand as Christians that people are messy. Is anybody here perfect? No, nobody's raising their hand. <laughs> Some people are pointing. <laughs> Nobody here is perfect. We're all messy. We have things that we want to keep hidden from other people. Um, we don't want to deal with different personalities, We get offended way too easily. If we can understand that Christian hospitality involves people, we can prepare for a messy relationship, right? We can prepare to to grow thick skin. Did you know that we have to grow thick skin as Christians? Yes, we do, okay? Read the Bible so you can answer hard questions. 
If you don't invite somebody into your home because you're like, oh, man, what if they ask the hard question? Well, then read your Bible. Okay? Because the answers are there. Stop saying, well, I don't know the answer. Well, hello? Okay. Sorry. Read the Bible. Grow thick skin. Be a peacemaker. Believers should never be responsible for lack of peace. That is huge. Some of us don't care that we stir up dust and walk away. We should never be that person. We should never be responsible for lack of peace. There is something we can all do. I want to encourage all of us to make a list and start somewhere. Whatever you do, do it well and with real love. Jesus took the obligations of hospitality to the extreme by laying down his very life so that you and I can live. Therefore, we lay down our lives. Jesus laid down his life. Therefore, we lay down our lives. Somebody's eternity might be affected by your Christian hospitality. So, um, Zach, if you want to come up, the book that I mentioned Earlier, A Gospel Comes with a House Key was written by a woman whose life was changed because of of, um, Christian hospitality. She was actually a former lesbian who spent most of her pre-Christ life, in her words, loving others better than the church loved others. That's a shame. If There's people out there who don't know Jesus who are determined to show love to this world better than we do. So we have to rise up and not let that be an option. She was a leader in the LGBTQ rights and was far from a Christian. But she was invited to dinner by a Christian couple. And her goal at that dinner was to use their lives to back a research paper that she was writing um, about why Christians read the Bible as a literal text. So she wrote in her Bible how she was just like confused, one, why they even invited her to the home. And then second, she was, like, ready to go in and battle, battle her stance and debunk everything that they believed. But she entered the home, and she left forever marked. She, um, she wrote that the threshold to their life brought her to the foot of the cross. I want the fr- threshold of my life to bring people to the cross. That is what God calls us to do. She wrote... Nothing prepared her for the unstoppable gospel and the love of Jesus made manifest in the daily practices and hospitality undertaken in one simple Christian home. And she's now married with children, all of which are adopted, and she lives a life of Christian hospitality. My life will forever be marked by the hospitality of my aunt and my uncle for no other reason than a free vacation to Hawaii. Um, their daily practices and hospitality brought me to the foot of the cross. And I'm challenged today that though my home is an open door, there's so many other areas that I've tightly gripped that I have not allowed God to use me in my relationships with other people. And I want my life to be a threshold to the foot of the cross. So this morning, as we go into response, I think there is a response for everybody. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that no one is too far gone from his grace. If you're hearing this message right now, 
you are qualified to receive his grace because you're living and breathing in this very moment. You're qualified to become a part of this family. And for those of us who have been serving Jesus, however long it's been, some of us have built up walls that we never knew we built up. And today you need to tear those walls down and allow your brothers and sisters in Christ to access to your life. Some of us find too much comfort in our personal lives that we have unintentionally stopped practicing hospitality. We have excuse after excuse. Your work will always be there. Your time to watch TV or to do whatever it is that you enjoy the most will be there. But the person that needs Jesus, that is in your path, might not be here tomorrow. And we have a duty to minister the gospel of Jesus to them. Some of us have too strong of a hold on our possessions and our finances that we have no room for generosity. Some might need continued strength and provision in operating with Christian hospitality. Maybe you're like, you know what, Kiki, I'm good. I'm doing what God has called me to do. And you just need God's sustaining grace and provision in your life. But I would challenge us, Maranatha, Full Gospel Fellowship, to respond today. Are there areas in our life that we need to rearrange to do differently so that we can live in a way, a new way to love others? Is there, are there things in our life that we need to do so that people have an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus by your faithful service to God? Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.